Jesus is in his last week here on earth, and he is about to be turned over, crucified, and buried and resurrected. He's been at the temple, he's been under teaching, and we are at a section in Matthew where it comes to a place that's referred to as the Olivet Discourse. It's chapters 24 and 25. Today we start with chapter 24 and going through uh, the, the series of things that Jesus taught. And uh, I think you have a little bit of an overview, Glenn, that you want to go through. Yeah, this section is really important and influential in the sense that it's it's caused a lot of discussion about what he actually means and when these things are about to happen. And so what I wanted to do before we get into the details of Matthew 24, just talk about the controversy that's happened among legitimate Bible teachers and Bible scholars that don't always see things eye to eye. And so we didn't want to just blast through this without saying that, hey, there, there is some disagreement over the centuries between good Bible teachers. And so not necessarily bad thing or evil or anything. It's just good people don't always see eye to eye. Correct. So the big question, at least a couple of the big questions, are whether Matthew 24 and 25 are something that happened already in the first century, in the lifespans of the apostles, or was this future end times and something that might happen at the end of days? And it's not always easy. There's some passages in here that, that are somewhat difficult to kind of untangle. And when you add to it the fact that, that there's more than one question going on and more than one thing, a lot of times, for example, Jesus may have sat there and talked all afternoon, yeah. and we have something you can read in five, ten minutes. Right. So what we've got is a summary right. of what yeah. he said. And so that's part of what's going on. So the big question, was this future to the end of days? Yeah. Or was this something that happened in the first century? Yeah. And Steve, you and I are going to maintain that Matthew 24 and 25 mm-hmm. are predominantly end of days things and are not things that happened in the first century. Correct. And I'm going to give some reasons why. Okay. Now, before we get into this, it does. we call this Olivet Discourse simply because Matthew 24, verse 3, he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, right. and they came up to have this conversation. There's some parallel passages over in Mark and in Luke. Mm-hmm. And when you compare those, you'll find that there's some similarities, but there's some differences. And one of the differences are the questions that are listed at the beginning of it that the disciples ask. Mm-hmm. So when we compare these three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we always have to compare what are the questions that they're asking. And so we'll get into that. But here's just let me give a couple of things here on why we would hold that Matthew 24 and 25 are future. 
a lot of these are things that people have wrestled with. For, right. for example, Matthew 24, 34, these events will happen to this generation. Mm. And so that's one of those things. Jesus says, this generation will see these things. Right. And so does that mean the generation he's talking to, or is it some future generation? Yeah. So here's the answer to this. Matthew 23, verse 35, which was just prior to this Olivet Discourse, Matthew quotes Jesus as saying all these difficult, hard things to the Pharisees. And 23.35, Jesus says, he's talking to the Pharisees and says, you've killed these prophets from Abel to Zechariah. And he's talking to these Pharisees that are standing there in front of him. And he says, you killed them. Well, Zechariah was stoned to death in 2 Chronicles 24, verses 20 to 22, approximately 775 years earlier. Mm -hmm. Yet Jesus is sitting here talking to these Pharisees saying, you killed them. Yeah. And so it was 800 years prior to that. Right. And so that's one clue that the time here could not always be specific Mm -hmm. in these things. Or that, or at least that the people he's talking to and he's saying, you did this, the time period there could have been across a bigger time frame. Yeah, and the example that you're giving there, the you is the institution, right? The institution of the Pharisees, Sadducees, and the scribes, the leadership. That's the you. And so that is one precedent that when he uses the phrase, this generation, might not be the people who are standing there at the time. Right. That's the point. The key to that verse, when he says this generation, is when he uses the phrase this generation, it's the generation who will see all these things, plural. Correct. See what things? Verse 32 only mentioned this fig tree Mm -hmm. that was leafing out. So it's not that, that just seeing the fig tree leaf out. So the things must be this long list of nine or ten events that's in verse 30, 30 to 31. Right. And so the which generation? It's the generation that sees the list of ten things in verses 30 to 31. That he just described. And that's the return of Christ, which is end times. Right. So that's one reason why we would take this generation. Which generation? The generation that sees all these things. Correct. Which things? The list of 10 things that happen when Jesus returns. That's the grammar of the passage. Second major point. Chapter 24, verse 15 mentions the abomination of desolation as spoken of by Daniel mm-hmm. the prophet. Mm-hmm. The people that are partial preterists or amillennialists would hold that these things happened in the temple in 70 AD when Rome came and and destroyed the temple and tore it all down and raised a victory flag over the site. Right. But that's not the abomination of desolation as mentioned in Daniel. In Daniel, the abomination of desolation had to have a covenant made with the evil one. Right. It had to have had the sacrifices stop in the middle of the 70th week. Correct. And... It had to have the abominable one standing in the holy place 
Right. Right? Is what it says in 2415, the abomination of desolation had to be standing in the holy place, which means the temple has to still be standing when it happens, not after it was torn down. Yeah, and for a little bit more detail, the listeners can go to Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. They could read that. It gives descriptions in a lot of detail as far as what is going to happen and who it's going to be in regards to this uh, abomination of desolation. It talks about the son of perdition, the man of lawlessness, and etc. So the amillennialist and the partial preterist would say that these events happened in 70 AD when the Romans came in and destroyed the temple. Right. Problem is, or at least one of these problems is just what we said. That's not what Daniel says. Right. Secondly, even after 70 AD, there was enough Jews left... Yeah. to try more revolts against Rome. There was another one in 115 called the Quitos War yep. that the Jews tried to attack the Romans. And there was another one in 132 AD called Bar Kokhba Revolt. Correct. And so 70 AD didn't destroy all the Jews. Right. It was actually after that Bar Kokhba Revolt that Rome finally pushed and dispersed all the Jewish people out of the land. And so, again, that happened decades after 70 A.D. So that's why the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel didn't happen in 70 A.D. Right. Because it had to happen standing in the holy place. Correct. Third major point, scriptural confirmation of future fulfillment. For example, Matthew 24, 21, Great tribulation such has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever shall be. Yeah. So this great tribulation that he's talking about has to be the worst one that ever happened in the history of, in world history, Right. at least to the Jews. Well, the Holocaust in 1944 and 1945 killed more Jews yeah. in a more horrible way than yeah. what happened in 70 AD. Yeah, mi- millions of Jews, most of them killed uh, in gas chambers. And star slowly starved to death. It it was awful. Right. Next point, 2422. If the war had not been stopped, quote, no flesh would have been saved, close quote. 70 AD, the only lives in danger were those in Jerusalem. Right. And so you have to say, well, no flesh really means only this one group of Jews in this one town. And that's not what the text says. No flesh means no flesh. Right. Which means no flesh in the world. All the Jews weren't even really in danger of being killed in 70 AD. Chapter 24, verse 27, The coming of the Son of Man will be as obvious as lightning flashing all the way across the sky from the east to the west, so no one can miss it. This did not occur in the first century, and we can say that confidently because there's still people running around saying, I didn't see it. Right. (laughs) And his whole point in 2427 right. is that it's so obvious nobody can miss it. Right. So if there's anybody running around saying, oh, well, the Son of Man hadn't come back yet, I didn't see it. Yeah. Well, just like if you're standing outside at night and lightning goes all the way across the sky from the east all the way to the west, who's going to miss that? Nobody. That, that's his point. Verses 30 and 31, several signs will occur when Jesus returns. And none of these signs happen in the first century. The Son of Man will appear in the sky. All the tribes of the earth will mourn. All the tribes of the earth will see Jesus come in the clouds with great glory. Angels will come with a great trumpet. 
the elect will gather from all parts of the sky. Yeah. None of that happened in the first century. Fourth major point, it's really talking about Jesus coming again. Correct. 2437, Jesus will come again. Verse 39, Jesus will come again. Verse 44, Jesus will come again. 25.6, Jesus, the bridegroom, will come again. 25.31, Jesus will come with in glory with, quote, all the angels, unquote. And so have all the angels come back in the first century? Yeah. No. Uh, no, nobody saw them. Nope. So that didn't happen. 25.32, all nations will be gathered before Jesus. None of that happened in the first century. So this has to be future. Further evidence. There is some evidence of prophecies having dual fulfillment, such as some things happening now and some things happening later. For example, there's scriptural precedent for this. In Luke chapter 4, verse 18, Jesus goes to the synagogue and as a visitor, they say, oh, you, you can read the scroll. He picks up the scroll, he turns to Isaiah 61, verses mm -hmm. 1 and 2, and he reads from it. He stops the quote in mid-sentence. Right. And the first part of the sentence talks about the you know people being blessed and the blind, blind being seen and the lepers healed. And that's the first half of the sentence. Right. He stops in mid-sentence. The second half of the sentence is the day of vengeance of our God will happen. Right. So we have there Jesus himself giving us a clue to end times prophecy in the sense that there could be even down to a single sentence where parts of it were fulfilled in the first coming of Christ and part of it filled in the second coming of Christ. So there's no surprise that maybe here in some of these prophetic passages, Matthew 24 and 25, some things happen in the first century. Some things happen in the end time. Mm -hmm. that, that could be the case. Another case like this, in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 10, and we talked about this when we were in there so that now we could bring it up here in, when we get to 24. Matthew 10, verse 5, Jesus sends out his disciples, and he tells them specifically, only go to those in Israel. Right. Do not go to the Gentiles. Only go to the house of Israel. In that same speech in Matthew 10, verse 18, the disciple he says, you're going to be arrested by the Gentiles. Well, wait a minute. Didn't right. you just tell us not to go to the Gentile? Right. Well, he's compressing things Correct. there. And so ten, Matthew 10, 5, only go to Israel. Matthew 10, 18, you're going to be arrested by the Gentiles. 1020, the Holy Spirit will speak through them, which only happened after Pentecost. They didn't have the Holy Spirit yet to speak through them. Right. Matthew 1021, brother will deliver brother to death, which did not happen in the weeks following Jesus sending out the disciples. Therefore, the speech that Jesus gave, the instructions he gave to the disciples in Matthew chapter 10, is for the immediate time of the next few days and weeks, and for the rest of their lives after the day of Pentecost. And it's all compressed into this one speech. Right. So we could take that here, and I don't have any problem at all going through these three passages in the Olivet Discourse in, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke and saying, these were the things that happened first century. These are the things that happened in the end time. Yeah. So, Steve, that's kind of 
lot of ramble from me, but any kind of support for that or, or uh, comments? Well, it's, it's a demonstration of a couple of things. One is that our approach is just to read the text, read what it says, and take the things uh, at, at, at their uh, value of what the text says and um, not try and read too much into it. It's also what you just demonstrated is you, you took several pieces of Scripture from different areas of Scripture in order to prove your point. Again, it's a way that we approach Scripture. We study very similarly in, in the way that we do it. And how you demonstrated that is, again, having Scripture support other Scripture. So to me, it's very straightforward. And I have seen uh, people, as they try and fit this Olivet Discourse, this uh, chapter 24 and chapter 25, into their theology uh, and their doctrinal stance, and they just really have to come up with some really creative things in order to to work their way into what they actually believe. And so, again, to me, it's very straightforward. So let me go ahead and read the first few verses here in Matthew chapter 24. And as we read this, keep in mind where this happens in the flow of the book. He's in his last week of life, the entirety of the last chapter, Matthew 23. He spoke to the leaders of the country, and he Jesus was very severe. He spoke with them very bluntly, hypocrites, brood of vipers, whitewashed tombs. Right. And so... Immediately after that, chapter 24, verse 1, Jesus came out from the temple and was going away when his disciples came up to point out the temple buildings to him. And he said to them, Do you not see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another, which will not be torn down. So, verse 1, Jesus comes out of the, this major disagreement with the leaders of the country. What do the disciples do first? What's the first thing they're doing there in verse 1? They're pointing out the buildings. Right. Why would they be doing that? I well, submit that it's a little humorous, yeah. at least to me. Yeah. Keep in mind what he just did. To the disciples, this would be a little scary. These Pharisees, these were the people that had the power to execute them. They had the power to throw them out of the synagogue, you know, disconnect them from Israel. And he just got very severe. So they're walking out, and the disciples say, oh, Jesus, look at this over here. Uh, isn't this building kind of pretty? They're kind of trying to distract them to keep them, keep them out of trouble. So to me, I, I just thought it was a little humorous. Yeah, and, and we have a cross-reference over in Luke 21, 5-7, and it says, And while some were talking about the temple, that it was adorned with beauty, beautiful stones and votive gifts, he said, he being Jesus, for as for these things which you are looking at, the days will come in which there will not be left one stone upon another which will not be torn down. And so, yeah, Luke gives a little bit more flavor in regards to it. And they're kind of, as you said, they're kind of pointing things out. They're talking about how beautiful it is. And Jesus is saying, this is all going to be torn down. And that fits into uh, his rebuke of the leadership. He had just come in also uh, the day before uh, or the two days before and 
turned over all the money tables and told you know everybody that you've turned you know my house into a den of thieves and so the the temple itself had been turned into a place that was being misused and so it kind of fits into the the theme of that look you you you're completely taking the reason for this temple and worship here and and have turned it into something else therefore it's going to be torn down right right so they're pointing out these temple buildings to them. This this was a this wasn't just one building. It's a right. temple complex, very large, very ornate, very beautiful, very expensive, and there were, I mean, government rooms and and all these various odd assorted rooms. Yeah, Herod had had undertaken a program to expand the temple and build the temple out. And so this is in progress. It, it, it took them decades in order for this to be done. And so they actually didn't get through building it, I, I, my understanding, until 67 AD. So even after Jesus is, is, is gone, they're still working on the various parts. But they have columns, colonnades, very ornate stuff that Herod and part of the reason he did it, he was trying to endear himself to the people. He wasn't a, a popular uh, he wasn't a popular governor. He had been appointed by the Roman uh, government. And so he undertakes this uh, effort to try and beautify uh, the temple and the temple mount. So the disciples were, Jesus, look at this building. Look how this is beautiful over here. Right. Were they going to show him something he didn't already know? (laughs) Did he not know about the temple? Right, exactly. No, he knew. He was there when he was 12. You know, it was was, uh, something he already knew. Right. And so Jesus tells them not one stone will be left upon another. This was literally fulfilled right. when the Romans came in in 70 AD and tore the building down. Now, there are people today, we go to Jerusalem, it's called the Temple Mount, and people will point to that, mainly non-believers, and they'll go, oh, see, the stones are still here. That uh, wasn't fulfilled uh, because they're stone there. No, the temple itself is not there. All anything on top of that temple mount where the the place uh, was used, that's all gone. The temple mount was just an area that they took in order to make it level. That's not what Jesus was talking about. He was talking about the temple itself, and that's gone. That was taken that away, was gone. And literally destroyed. stone by stone. Yeah, you know, they took them and threw them over the uh, edge. And the things there now were rebuilt from those stones that were already. Already torn down. So verse 3, as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things happen, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Right. So they asked three questions. Yep. And what are the three questions? When will these things happen? Talking about the temple being torn down. What will be the sign of your coming? And what will be the sign of the end of the age? So the rest of these two chapters, 24 and 25, we have to keep in mind what questions they ask because that helps us figure out what he's talking about. They had asked about those things, and that's really kind of what he's, he's answering, but he's not answering it in the sequence they ask it. He's answering it in the sequence that the things are important in the logical system. It's also important to note, if we were to, we're not going to go there now, but if we go over to Mark and Luke, to the parallel passages, 
the questions here are not exactly the same. Right. He has three questions here, and I believe it's only two in the other ones. Correct. And so we, the passages in the three Gospels are similar, but the questions are different. Yeah. And again, he may have talked all afternoon, and Matthew's right. only recording things around these two or three questions. Yeah, and uh, one of their questions of the end of the age. So to them, the next part was going to be the setting up of the millennial kingdom. So the end of the age was the time that they were in. The next age was going to be the millennial kingdom. And so that also gives credence to the belief that God works uh, in different eras with, with mankind. And so we see that. And then all, the, the second question of when will be the sign of your coming? Jesus had already started telling them that he was going to be turned over. He was going to be killed by the Gentiles and then he was going to raise up again on the third day. So now we start seeing the disciples trying to get some answers in regards to what's what are the next things that are going to happen? What are the next steps? And so, again, three questions. He answers the third one, then the second one, which is the logical order, the end of the age, and then Jesus coming. Right. And in this passage, he's not really dealing with the first question. Correct. And I think we can see that over in Luke. So, wonderful stuff. We'll pause for today right there. And as we get into next time, be with us because we're going to go through one of the most prophetic passages and the one that gives us a lot of information about what's going to happen in future days when Jesus comes back. And he gives us a lot of really good instruction. But be with us next time as we reason through the Bible. (laughs) 